Hello, hello. Oh, there we go. I'll take the bazaars if that's what that is going. I'll take that. Um, no, thanks very much. So, um, as I just get ready, turn around and say hello to somebody. Just wave at them, tell them they look gorgeous in their. If they've got a hula necklace on, or maybe a hula skirt on, maybe if uh, they might have that as well. So, um, yeah, I'm a bit too loud, Clive. I'm a no, because you know me, I'm quite loud. But uh, yeah, you're very, very welcome. Good to see us all out. Anybody, anybody in summer mode? I know we're all looking summery with our um, Hawaii, although I am looking forward to our, our Hawaii weather coming. Hopefully it's, yeah, in the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, all your problems and all that, right? Um, yeah, I love, I love uh, when we go to our, on the tithe slide that it says generosity that builds community. And I mean, I just want to, I really want to say, we, you guys are generous, I mean, we are a really generous community. I mean, I just want to say thank you for, it is a privilege to be able to um, be able to, you know, yes, lead this church, but also just to do life with such a generous community. I mean, not only financially are you generous, but also just with your time and, and with your giving in that way, because we're a small church. We punch way above our weight. But I also want to acknowledge we're all, like, you're volunteers at a lot of things we do. And, and I don't say that lightly because, you know, you guys give up a lot, you sacrifice, you just have to put up with even, you know, people in leadership and so on. But it's like, what you give, I just want to, you know, I know Joy said it and others will say it and, and time and time again, but, you know, behind all of the social media posts, behind all of the, you know, the, the big fun stuff we get to do and the blessings we get to do, I just want to, I just say, like, you're generous and, and it really is something that is... It's a token of our of our community here because, you know, the stories and the conversations that like I got chat with people yesterday. It's like they're like, "Thank you so much for coming." You know, one guy was like, "This is going to be a regular thing, right?" Like, you know, you're you got to come back again, you know. And I'm like, "Hold up a second, you know." And uh, he was he then said, or I haven't done to tell him, but we've got you know, I heard's coming up and told him the dates, giving the week, you know, card and so on. He's like, that's great, that's great. So, like, you know, when you come back, you can do this, this, and this type of thing. So I'm like, you know, why don't you go do it, you know? Um, and uh, we'll get behind it. But, you know, it's something that's really, really just, I, yesterday was fun and, you know, cross guard and so on. And I know we, we go around and it can seem really busy. And we have been doing a lot of outreach. And I'm really conscious, like, Journey Down Patrick, we have been super busy. I mean, it's, it's sometimes a journey away. But I think we have to be very you know, just, just mindful of that. I think obviously as we're going into iHearts and stuff as well, we have to be mindful of, of busyness because it's not a fruit of the spirit, by the way. Um, we just have to be mindful of that. So we're doing our summer series. It says Sunday Journey, but over uh, the month of July and August, we're going to have different people come and speak, just free reign of different things. There's no real um, track of what we're going to really speak on. We're just going to let, you know, as summer's out, you know, the, the, the series just goes and that's the type of thing we get to get to do. So, as we were, have been in busy, you know, couple of months, I just really felt like this week the Lord, um, maybe it's just the way I'm getting on with this. The Lord really just, yeah. Is that a lot better? Peace and proper, 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 well, good. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, because, you know, we have been really busy and we have been, you know, as a church just doing a lot and it's really important just as we're doing it. I really felt like the Lord, you know, 
just spoke to me. Let's talk about resilience. I don't know if, you know, resilience can be a hot topic at times. It can be something that we're always looking at. But as we're really busy, I, think, I feel like just particularly for today, I want us just to, just to look on this, the art of resilience, the, the practice of resilience. And it's something that, you know, I want to look at just, just today really quickly. Okay, so I'll tell you this. I remember when I first became a Christian, and I was very, I have to say, I was really blessed. I was telling a couple of people this week just about, you know, my journey and so on. And I, I really look back and I go, I'm... I was really, really blessed, still am, but I was really blessed of God bringing, you know, more blessed than you, by the way, <laughs> because I had, God brought some incredible men and women into my life. You know, the statistics of me being able to not go down to, you know, being, you know, in the back of a paddy wagon a real week, you know, and I've told this stuff before, but the incredible people that come into my life, just, I was thinking back this week going, I was really, really blessed. And as I was looking back and thinking about just the different people that have come and gone in my life and the leaders and the, the people that God's just used, some, some not even leaders, but just some people who God has really used. And we've all, you've all had those people in your life. I mean, now you'll, you'll be thinking about that. But I was thinking about three, three people came to my mind in particular, and I've changed their names because some of you may or may not know them, but um, in the story, so... I remember one time, really pivotal, there was a guy who um, I, I got to spend a bit of time with, and he was a guy who he, he loved, he had a heart, I mean, this heart to, to plant churches, but the heart to see the kingdom of God come in, in tangible ways. I mean, I see this man who, he was very gifted in the prophetic. I, I remember driving up to a conference one time with him. I just had only met him, you know, it was, it was a short period of time, but I remember getting in a car, driving like a couple of hours up the North Coast and going to a conference, and just him talking and downloading things of, of the kingdom, and I thought, oh, I want what you got. You know, when you're, you're, just, you're just fresh on the, you know, the Christian train, and you're like, you're just exposed to a lot of things, and, and someone gives you language to what you want to see, the transformation, the, the miraculous of things, and this guy, through many different conversations, just had deposited something on the inside of me. I thought, I, I want that. Even to this day, I carried around, and other people have added to it, but there was something that just in conversations with this guy, he really stirred something in me to see, you know, the kingdom of God come tangibly in, in, in this area in ways that I hadn't really had the language for. And it was really, he really prophesied over my life, and he had encouraged me in, in incredible ways, which, you know, I was really thankful for. And then there was another person who uh, was a young girl who you know, I got to work with over a couple of years, and this girl could lead a room. This girl was, uh, was younger than me, but you know, when this person walked in the room, boy, everybody listened, everybody you know, took hold, and sometimes in good ways, sometimes not in good ways, but I had watched as the Spirit of God filled her tangibly that I, just, I could see, you know when somebody's rough around the edges and you're going, my religious mindset is saying that you shouldn't have the Spirit of God on you right now, but actually the Spirit of God's on you in a way that I go, I learned something about the grace and about the, the, the mercy of God in a way through what, what, what happened in her life. And then there was a, another lady who was a bit older and you know, she was a firecracker. She, she prayed and she interceded in ways that I thought, you know, you, you know what it looks like to intercede and much, much older, you know, experience in, in, in you know, things of, you know, hardships and so on and I remember this lady you know really just always being you know her heart was about the presence of God and standing standing in the fiery furnace of going this is what we have to keep the main thing and you you, you keep that at the center of your life and this person really taught me what it meant to, to camp around the presence of God and there was in that time of life and they all sort of overlapped I was really God was using those three people to forge something in me that has really changed me to this day but I want to say none of those three people are currently following Jesus to my knowledge. 
None of the three of them are still, are, are currently to what I'm aware, are following Jesus. And it got me thinking. I mean, tangible impact on my life and others, by the way, you know, and not to put myself on every single story, you know. But it got me thinking, when hardships come, they all, all three of them experience hardships in their lives. Uh, real hardships that many of you and I will, will have went through and, and, and will go through. And life just got a hold. And I've known people who have went through similar things as them. And it got me thinking, why is it when that one person can go through something in life and, and snap under the pressure, bow under the pressure, succumb to the pressure and walk away from God, while another person can go through the exact same thing and actually seem to thrive. You ever, anybody ever know what I'm talking about? You just see like a, you know, you can have two siblings go through the exact same situation and scenario, the loss of a family member, you know, the caregiver, whatever it may be, and, and one just, you know, deconstructs and falls away while the other one just seems to go deeper in their faith. You remember we talked about our Habakkuk series where the, the dips and so on, and, and, you know, we're not immune to them, but just, I just got me really thinking, and, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, this is actually about resilience. This is about how can a person, what makes a person resilient or not? Because we all will have things come at us in life. So what is it that, that, that does that? And it really got me, you know, got really, really got me curious. And as I looked to see what actually is resilience, because I'm sure everybody here has heard about resilience, you know. I'm not talking about the resilient kid that bounces, you know, with kids' resilient bones where they bounce off a tall thing and they get up and just run on again. You know, <laughs> I'm not talking about that where when, you know, you just have to sneeze nowadays and you go, oh, my back, you know. That, that's not the thing I'm talking about, right? Um, some of you are laughing because you're going, yeah, that's me, right? Um, you're not as resilient in that, that form as you used to be. But as I look to see what is, what is resilience, and it's the capacity to recover quickly from difficult situations. It's the capacity to bounce back after tough situations. And so many of us, and I mean, I'm really preaching myself a lot of this, we have, in our current culture, we've fallen into believing that the markers of being great and healthy are actually about how fast or how big we can build or how far we can go. But actually, I, as I looked at this, I'm starting to realize resilience or another way to call it recovery and recalibration are actually what the markers of true biblical health are. That those three people I spoke about, there was just something that they couldn't recover and recalibrate after those situations, hardship games. You will be thinking about right now the times where you've had to recover and recalibrate after certain situations. So like me, I go, what makes, because I just am like, right, okay, I don't want to be the one that you know, ends up in a ditch somewhere, you know. What is it that gives the, you know, I like to study, what is it that makes someone resilient? What are the attributes of a resilient person? Okay, and I want to look at some of them today. So you can take notes, whether we get through them all or not, I'm not too sure, but it'll not really matter. And uh, yeah, I want to look at them, okay? The first thing is this, a resilient person counts the cost, okay? They count the cost, you see, I'll tell you a story, there's a, there's a guy who, he's obviously dead now, but it's Sir, he was an Irish uh, Antarctic explorer, some of you might know, Sir Ennis Shackleston. Anybody heard of, I know some of the people will be like, yeah, yeah, so um, I did a bit of research, I don't know too much about him, but uh, it's the first time, so I learned a bit about it. But he was an Antarctic explorer, and he led three British expeditions to the Antarctic. What was really interesting was, in 1914, he put out a newspaper article advert to advertise for a crew to go on his expedition. And when he put it out, instead of 
outlining, because anybody else would love to go to the, the Antarctic, by the way. You'd be like, uh, sign me up in a heartbeat, right? But obviously in 1914, it's very different than going on a, you know, well, I don't think they take cruise liners down there, but you know, um, it'd be very, very different uh, now than it was then. But earning, uh, Ernest, instead of putting out the, the benefits that such expedition would have, instead of giving a whole list of being able to see, you know, a habitat that is, is so vastly different to, you know, the one that we're in, although in Northern Ireland or Ireland, you know, the, the wet and windy and also is a, is a thing. But instead of outlining all of that, he went for a brutal, honest advert. This is what it said. It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete, in complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition given in the event of success. Okay. Anybody else want to sign up for that advert, right? I'm just thinking about the generation I come from, the millennials, to be like, you know, mm, you know, not my vibe, not the thing that, you know, um, but a hard work, right? Um, I'll not go down that rabbit hole. But, uh, from the outset, uh, Ernest Shackleton, 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 from the outset laid out the dangers and the difficulties that such expedition would have to the point that he actually tried to put off those, he tried to sift away who would come. But he actually had 5,000 people apparently advert or apply for the application. And it got me thinking, Jesus did the very same thing. Jesus had a habit of trying to scare off if you think about it, those from following him. You know, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and my gospel will save it. Jesus wanted people to count the cost to, uh, to following him before they walked in to actually trying to give it up. He got them to, to count the cost of carrying their cross so that before they got to that stage where they had to carry it, they knew what it meant to carry it. And even then, we still don't fully know. But I remember... When I, again, back to, you know, in my early, I was still naive in some ways. I think, you know, I can be blessed sometimes. But I remember being at a, at a camp where I, I just went to this camp going, it was youth and young adults. I remember going, I want to see everybody come to know Jesus. I want to see, like, revival break out in this tent. It was in a, you know, field of Malaya. It was like, you know, just a big tent. I didn't know revival tents were a thing, but I was going after it, right? And I, I was like, I want to see every young person and young adult come to, actually, do you know what? I want the staff. If they don't know Jesus yet, they're going to come too. So I went in with, you know, in some ways it was the numbers game of like, I want to see who I can get down. You know, I had names down. I'm like, I'm going to get, I want all these people to come to know Jesus. And I would have conversations with some of them. And I knew each night you would sort of, if anybody's ever been to a conference event or so on, it's like we build up to the last night. I was like, no, first night we're going in. I want to see how many we can get. And I would have conversations with people. I would go, are you going to, you know, I wasn't talking about Jesus, Lord and Savior because I didn't really have that language. I was like, do you just, you have to know God. Like, come on, you, you just give your life to him. You know, just do it, just do it. You know, like I was a Nike, you know, enthusiast. I was like, just do it, just do it. And in the conversations with a lot of them, they would, I could see, and looking back, I see it now, there was this constant, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready yet. I don't know if I'm, you know, they were counting the, you know, the sacrifice they had to made. They, now, in my naivety, I wasn't telling them about the sacrifices. I was like, just do it. You know, just do it. Forget about that and just worry about it all later on. And they were going, no, 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 no. And now some did, obviously, which was exciting, but others were like, they left going, no, I, I don't want to do that. And I look back, and actually, that's part of God's process. That those people had to, some for different reasons and so on, but they had to count. It's important that they counted the cost to following God. You see, the importance of counting the cost helps us decide that we're willing to lose everything in pursuit of the one thing. 
obedience to Jesus. See, counting the cost helps us decide that we're willing to lose everything in pursuit of one thing. A resilient person will know, actually a resilient person will hold everything lightly in pursuit of the one thing, and that's obedience to Jesus. The second thing is they actually expect hardships. When I was talking to those young people, I was not telling them about the hardships that might come. I wasn't telling them like, you know, Shackleton or Jesus. I was just like, you know, like, come on. My enthusiasm, but naivety, I was like, let's go, let's just do it. I wasn't telling them about how God might be. And in a one conversation scenario, you're not going to do that anyways. But I didn't, I failed to tell them about, you know, how to, how to cope with the things that might come in life. Or even specifically what some of the things that were holding them back. Now, when a resilient person expects hardships, it isn't that they, you know, they go around life as a pessimist, right? It doesn't mean that you go around going, well, there's always going to be hardships, you know, and it's like reality is just doom and gloom. It's like, you know, well, we're all, you know, it's all going to be hard, you know, it's just a doomful end, right? It's not, that's not what we're talking about. But it's also not talking about being an optimistic person, that we just forget about all hardships and go, Life's great, it's amazing, you know, I'm resilient, I'm bounced back because, you know, I always look at the positive side of life. And that's sometimes what people think resilience is. That if you just can go, look at the grasses, the green on the other side, you know, and part of it is, is hope. That's different. Remember, there's a difference between hope and optimism. And we'll look at that another time. But resilience is being built on facing reality and moving through it. It's the understanding that life will throw us curveballs. Life will throw us 11th hour surprises. Anybody here love 11th hour surprises? You're like, no, no. It's part of the thing I like to say in teams is like, no 11th hour surprises, please, right? You know, t- come and tell me on the third hour, the fourth hour, you know? But as you grow, 11th hour things are, are, are a case. But resilience pe- resilient people know how to weather them. You see, Jesus causes the counter cost as, as part of developing that resilience, but he also wants us... Um, didn't finish that thought. <laughs> um, he, wants us to, he wants us to count the cost of resilience, but he also wants to show us how to move through it. You'll see in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, you see, no temptation is ever, ever overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so that you can endure it. Not only will God not give you more than you can handle. Now, that's interpretive because sometimes we feel like God has given us more than we can handle because he will always exact more from you than what you feel like you can produce. But that talks about his grace. And we'll go to that later on. But Jesus tells his followers to expect trials and temptations because he says, but when you're tempted. See, it's not that we just walk around anticipating bad things to always happen because that's actually built on fear and anxiety, but actually resilience is built on the trust that God knows what is next for us and that he will walk with us through it. A resilient person knows that yes, curveballs and 11th hour things will come. It's not that we fear them, we acknowledge, hey, they're gonna happen, but it's the acknowledgement that actually, do you know what? God is the God of the 11th hour. God is the God of curveballs. God is the God who knows what comes before us. We don't have to worry about those things. So anxiety will come down when we know that he knows what's next. That's what it means that when we build on that firm foundation. And the third thing about resilience that then a resilient person will know is they're open to change. As those 11th hour, as those unforeseen things come, we actually then look at going, hey, I'm going to be open to change. But the really, really funny thing is, and I think it is funny and ironic in many ways, 
is we as human beings have an inherent resistance to change. <laughs> we have this thing on the inside of us that goes, we don't like change. But as we often say, change is here to stay. But who here likes change? Hands up, who here likes change? In some ways, right? But we like change when they're the things we want to change. But what about the things that we don't want to change? Do we like it then? No. You do like change. But like I said, we like to change when it comes in the way we want it to. But what happens when change comes and, and, and testing comes in the areas that we don't like? We have an inherent resistance to that. But resilience is the skill and having the capacity, I'll use that word, the capacity to be robust under conditions of enormous stress and change. Resilience will be tested in stress, under stress and under change. And in fact, I would say that resilient people know how to change their goals often. They know how to change their goals often. I will say here, there is a, a, a real major difference between changing your goals and changing your mind often. Who, anybody here change their mind often? There's a real difference between changing your goals often and your mind often. In James 1.8, scripture says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This is someone who indulges himself in having too many choices. Anybody here love having choices? I just, when I say that, indulging in choices, I just think of like a big box of dairy, box chocolate, or, you know, lint chocolate. I'm like just, or, you no know, Matilda, when, isn't it Matilda when they get the box? She gets the box mistransferred from somewhere and she just like indulges in it, right? And that word is used. It's, it's to the point where we, we want to keep our options open by having one or more alternatives. However, how many of you know confusion comes when we stand at the face of two or more alternatives? Confusion gives rise when there's two or more alternatives that we stand. A fork in the road, that's always an analogy. Which way do I go? Remember there was two trees in the Garden of Eden? So choice isn't always bad. However, we are designed from the beginning, humans are designed from the beginning to move toward one option and away from the other. It's set up in the garden, really simplistically. I'll not go into it too much in detail. God was the one that created choice. So let, hear me out, choice isn't bad. But what happens, the, 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 the dysfunction comes when we stand before two choices, not which way to go. And instability comes when we start to deliberate in choice or what choice to make. And that would then give rise to doubt and worry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody's had time? We'll all have, we're not immune to this. We'll all have times in our lives where then all of a sudden we'll, we'll start to doubt. We'll start to, you know, go in the spiral, which do you? And we, anybody overthink? And that usually tends to happen. But one of the ways I found, and even in my own life, actually majorly in my own life, that I, I began to see this manifest in my thought life was, oh, what happens if I make the wrong decision? What happens if, you know, I miss the will of God for my life. Anybody felt like they miss? Oh, what happens if I miss the will of God for my life? And we, we go, if I don't go left and I go right when I'm down there and God told me to go left, but then I went right. And you know, what happens if I you know, choose to go down this avenue, but God was actually really in the other avenue? And it's like we get in this whole kerfuffle of, and confused and downward spiral when we go, oh, maybe I've missed the will of God for my life. But remember, we're not that powerful. And actually, and this is the biggest comfort for me ever. God has factored in my stupidity. <laughs> I'm like, yes. 
Now, that doesn't give rise for us to be negligent in how we follow God, by the way, because God didn't allow for negligence in the garden, right? But what happens when we make the wrong choice? Do you know you can make another one? When you make the wrong choice, you always get to make another choice. If you even make a bad choice, well, you get to make another choice. We always have to feel like we're moving through life. We always have to feel like, you know, and actually, do you know what? If you don't know what decision to make, the decision of not making a decision is a decision. Do you know what? I'm going to decide I don't know what to do. Can you come back to me? I'm making the decision right now. I'm not going to make a decision on which road to take. I'm going to sit here. Do you know that's a decision? Don't let people push you to move through life. Now, God will be very clear when you're stubborn and don't want to move through life. So when we don't know, or when we make the wrong decision, we can make another one. Now, it doesn't mean, like I said, that we're sloppy and negligent in how we live life for God. But resilience is actually knowing that we are in process and that there is grace for when we mess up. A resilient person or a non-rigid person knows because rigidity comes when we, you know, actually let's use stubbornness when we dig our heels in. You know, digging your heels in isn't about being, you know, strong. Because actually we see often then when you dig your heels in and actually all of a sudden on the inside of you, rigidity comes and the, the fear of moving, the, the doubt and the worry comes in. But actually we have to feel like we're moving through life. So that is, that is the downside of changing your mind all of the time or the, the failure to, to, to move through life. But whereas changing your goals for a resilient person means that we are flexible when things don't go according to plan. Oh, that's so much easier said than anybody here like, you know, being flexible. Or anybody here, let me ask this. Who here only wants things to go the way they see it in their head? You're, I'm going to ask that again because nobody's going to fess up. Who here wants everything to go according to their plan, their purpose, right? Right, yeah, okay, I'll not get you to push it too much because you're all stubborn and rigid and don't move, right? <laughs> but I love this beatitude. It's not in the, in the scriptures. I made it up. Blessed are those who are flexible for they don't snap. Blessed are those who are flexible, for they don't snap. You see, changing your goals accordingly while keeping your eyes on the bigger picture, keeping your eyes on Christ, helps reduce the levels of frustration in our lives. In fact, when we get fixated on things having to be a certain way, we become more rigid, become more stuck. But a resilient person knows that flexibility is important for longevity. Flexibility is important for longevity. Now, I'm not talking about flexibility in the truth of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being flexible when things don't go according to plan. Being rigid is a sure way to lead you to burnout, depression, hopelessness, and helplessness. It's, it's a sure way to lead you into depression. And if you're here, or if you know anybody who is, is, is suffering from depression, you'll find there's an area of rigidity in their life. Now, many of you will... You know, many of you here, I mean, all of us in some ways, will know Murloc. I know some of you were up in uh, White Rock Beach. And you ever, we, we, in Northern Ireland, were blessed with some incredible dunes. And, and you know, the, the beach grasses, the marm grasses that, are, that cover the dunes, oftentimes I thought they're ugly, right? Until I knew what the purpose of them were. And in Northern Ireland, you know, we will look at them and we will see in these grasses how much of a beating they take all year round. Particularly in Northern Ireland, they get like a beating 365 days of the year. They don't even get a rest, right? And I'm looking at these. these some of these grasses are the most tough and, and 
resilient grasses there's about, right? This isn't your grass you have in your garden lawn that you, you sprayed down or the, the turf you got from you know, home base or whatever. This is, this, is, this is grasses that have taken a beating from the wind and the waves and the salt of the air all year round. And I looked at it, it's, it's the root system that makes them immovable. You see, it's the picture that when the harsh winds come, they're blown around more like a kite in the sky than, than rubbish on the ground. A resilient person knows how to deal with the stresses of life. You see, stress is when the demands that are placed upon us in life, when we, let me say it like this, stress is when we don't have the internal resources to meet the demands that are placed upon us. And sometimes dealing with stress is actually just accepting you can only do things in the ability that you can do it. A resilient person is aware of their ability and their capacity. And in fact, do you know that failure isn't in the economy of heaven? Do you know failure doesn't exist in the kingdom of God? You see, you can't fail in God's eyes. Now, it's not because God's oblivious to the things, the stupid things we do. But actually, failure is when we don't meet the expectations or the standards placed upon us. But God knows what we're going to achieve even before we do it. So if he knows what you're going to do, then how can you fail him? Because is this not why Jesus was sent to the cross? Or when we read the scripture that says, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. So God's not surprised of your outcome. Therefore, you're not deemed a failure in your eyes. But we will have expectations and standards of our lives. But that's what grace is for. Again, it doesn't give us excuse to you know, be negligent. But what does God actually say about failure? And I've had to learn this a lot, even over the past year. Actually, I have to remind myself daily about this sometimes. It's God speaks about failure in a way that I didn't always expect. He says it in Ephesians 6, 13 to 14. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, temptation comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And you, after having done everything to stand, stand. You see, resilient people know that the only things that they can, they can only do things in their own ability and in the time that they have been allotted. Anybody here, and I, man, I have, God really is pruning me. Anybody love to say shoulda, woulda, couldas? But you know what? We say that without even, it's just like the thing, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Only if I'd done that, I could have done this. Do you know what? If only life was like this, then that would have happened. You know, anybody just, listen to your own internal conversation as you go about your day. Man, we do this so often now, that's projection. Like, I do it so often, I have to catch myself. Man, if I should have, would have, could have do it. That's why, actually, it's great to have somebody you do life with and process with them, because then they get to slap you in the ear and go, you're saying that, you know? Poor Hannah, isn't that right? <laughs> but resilient people know that actually when others chuck you under the bus, they're not going to chuck themselves under the bus. What do I mean by that? That when you should have, could have, would have done something, and when people come and say that all the time, we say it to our closest spouses, friends, and those here in our inner circles. So what? I should have, would have, could have. I ain't nothing going to change that. And if they have a problem with it, guess whose problem that is? Yeah. But also, resilient people know that God has factored in in their ability. God has factored in their ability and their achievement in his sovereignty. 
and know that actually in their weakness, they actually get to, and in our weakness, we get to rely on his capacity. Resilient people don't take themselves too serious. They take what they do serious, but they don't take themselves. They realize they're not the savior of the world. And also, that if you have a, a bad Sunday or you mess up a word or you, you say something stupid and wrong, nobody's going to hell for it. That person ain't going to walk away from the faith because if you've said something stupid and they walk away from the faith, the chances are they're walking away before they met you. So we have to take ourselves off the pedestal that Jesus actually sits on. In fact, we have to take ourselves from being the foundation that, you know, Jesus is the foundation. So we have to remove ourselves. And a resilient person knows, not that, and again, I'll repeat it, a resilient person isn't neglecting their responsibilities and their desire to refine their craft and grow. That's not what I'm saying. But a resilient person in their mind will know that they're not the savior for the people around them. And the fourth one is that they're rooted in community. You see, like those, what was really interesting about those beach grasses that we were talking about earlier is, you know, one of, yes, one of the reasons why they can withstand you know, the harsh winds and the, and, and the waves is, is yes, because their stems are flexible, but um, tough. I mean, it's tough grass, but it's flexible. But it's also because their root system is very fibrous and it's actually matted together. It's inter, the interwovenness, the interconnectedness that actually is held together with others. But you know what's really interesting? It also binds the grass to the dunes or the, the sand into the dunes. I didn't know that. But that grass actually keeps the sand. I often go, why does the sand not just blow away over into like, you know, from Murloc Bay down into, you know, why is it staying there? Because it looks like, you know, the, the sand is actually on top of the grass. But you know what's really interesting is that, that those, those fibers, root systems keep the, the, the ecosystem underneath it intact. Do you know it's important that we be a resilient people and resilient community because when we are matted together, we actually create an ecosystem for those below us. Resilience creates, a resilient community creates an ecosystem and a covering underneath it. It protects that which it's underneath it. That's actually a really good leadership tip. Now, if you're a leadership, in leadership in your family life, friend life, whatever, wherever you find yourself where there's people following you, whether people are below you in any capacity, actually team is better than the solo ranger that society talks about because a resili resilient community and resilient team provides that, that covering. So that when the harshest winds and the waves, it's like the roof to a house. So that when a hurricane comes, that actually then all of a sudden there's that powerful, that covering that is underneath. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the lovely dunes that you get to fly up and down and, you know, have the covering when you do your bonfire, but you shouldn't be doing it in the middle of the dunes and then, you know, that type of thing, right? Nobody here would do that, right? But I want to I uh, go into this story. I'll not go into the fifth one because, to be honest, we're running out of time. I'll finish with this story, because the last one's actually about rest, but we'll come to that another time. Okay, is, I don't know if anybody, there's a picture, Karina, if you could put the picture up. Uh, this is on the person who is, this, this on the left-hand side is Anita Alvarez for USA crew. Do you know, recognize this person? No. Um, at the World Championship in Belgium, the synchronized swimming. Uh, Anita Alvarez was, was swimming, and all of a sudden she, you know, I can't remember the reasons, but um, she became unconscious in the pool. And the person that's jumping in is her, uh, her trainer and coach, if I get her name right, is uh, Andrea Fontes. I'm not, uh, is it? Yeah, something like that, Fontes, right? Um, Andrea Fontes jumps in. And what's really interesting about this, I'll keep that picture up, is her coach, Andrea, had scanned the pool deck and made a split, a split decision. 
A split decision in that moment that she dove in to save Anita. The image actually reminds me of the importance of having coaches and mentors in our lives. The importance of doing team. You see, the coach had the ability to recognize, to read a situation, to scan a pool and understand and know that Anita was under for longer than she usually is. The coach had the desire to help, the coach had the ability to help, but also the coach acted while everyone else was watching on the sidelines. People didn't know, you know, because you're under there for quite a long time. It's not like you're, they're flapping about. They're, they're doing synchronized dance, like dance swimming type thing. And, and, and her coach recognized something. You see, too many Christians, like those I talked about, and even people you may know, are drowning. Not only in the church, but also outside the church. They're drowning because they've become succumb to the pressures of life, the winds of life, and they walk away from following Jesus, or they drown. And in some cases, actually, they end it all. Resilience is the knowledge that we don't do it on our own. You see, in a synchronized swimming sport, that is, yes, it's, all, it's an individual sport in some ways. It's the person that you know, does and gets the alkylate, but actually this shows us that actually there's a much, much bigger system behind the scenes. And God brought up the highlight. You see, every Paul needs a Timothy. And if you're here, and every Timothy needs a Paul. And if you're here and you're young and you're going to, I don't have people, young in the faith, young in my life, and you go, I don't have, I don't have people, get someone. If you don't have a mentor, get one. And if you're here and you're seasoned and you've been around the block a lot longer and you don't have a mentee, also get one. Because resilience isn't about an individual alcohol, it's actually about a team one. It's about a communal one. And it's why for me that actually it's the desire not just to develop resilience in us as people and as a person, but in this community, what would it look like if we became a resilient community? Like those beach grasses interwoven together. You see, just listen to how Jesus prayed, himself prayed in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray as individuals. I also pray that those people believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. All of them may be one. So Father, just as you, just as you are in me and I in you, that interconnectedness, may they also be in us. So that's a triune connectedness so that the world may believe that you and I have sent them. The world is looking for resilient disciples, is looking for a resilient community, because how can the world look like a people who are drowning go, I want to follow that? Why would you? But actually, well, a bit like that uh, Antarctic ex exploration, people will be willing to go into the harshest environments, sacrifice everything, give everything, everything up when they see a community that are resilient, and go, they can go through that, Time and time again, you can go look through, you know, Old and New Testament and the people of God. Israel was supposed to be, you know, that, that nation that, that was resilient when Babylon's came along and all sorts came along, that we are to be that, that community and that people. When we first develop resilience in ourselves and those practices, we then get to do that with each other. I'll invite the, the band back up. There was a fifth one I wanted to go into that it's being resilient people are accustomed to rest. Now, there's three ways that you can do that. You can rest your thinking, you can rest your, 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 your doing, but also you can rest your being. And just as we close, because we have done Kille, we've done Crossgar, we have been busy, I get it. And I, our importance is actually, as we as a community, we become strong, healthy, and we continue to develop resilience. Because can I tell you something? There's great days ahead, our best days are ahead of us, but guess what? 
there's also going to be hard days ahead. There's going to be times where, boy, are we going to be tested as a community. There's going to be times where individuals in this room or people who are not yet in this room are going to have uh, tragedies and hardships. I'm not here to sell and, and, and talk about a, uh, a plastic, fantastic you know, future that's ahead. Although I do think revival's in the air and we're going to catch it because we can, right? Somebody wrote a song about that, didn't they? But actually, there's something about when a community becomes resilient, they know how to rest. So as you, I mean, we're looking forward to it. We're going, we're going for a rest this week. Hopefully, at some point this summer, you will get the rest. I'm not talking about so many times we can just float in the days off. We can just find ourselves, oh, do you know what? I'll slob out in the sofa. I'll, I'll do whatever it may be. And we just sort of, we just think, we just think rest is just inactivity. It's just the opposite of working. But actually, rest is much deeper than that. And I don't have time to go into it in huge detail. But resilient people know that they need to care for their soul. They need to nurture their soul. They need soul time. Because if we are moving as fast on our day off, mentally or emotionally, than we are during the week, our brains aren't going to know the difference. A resilient person knows that it's okay to move at 90 miles an hour, but if you don't have those three men in our days, you'll not be able to endure the journey. <laughs> Petrol prices are sky high at the moment. We're a bit more reserved on, on our journeys, aren't we? I'm reluctant to say it, but I actually think the Lord may be in something. He took a pandemic to slow us down. Went back to normal, now he's like, I'm going to raise up the fuel prices. I think that might be prophetic, I don't know. Hopefully he takes them down because, you know, we're going back to horse and cart. But actually, let's rest well. I, I know I didn't finish that well because there's, it just ran out of time. But why don't you stand? You see, resilience is actually a byproduct of the fruits of the Spirit in our life. You know, two fruits of the Spirit are patience or long-suffering, but also self-control. And those coupled together will allow us to be mature and healthy in life because maturity in the kingdom is not about the results that you can produce, but the fruit that you can bear. So if you're here this morning, I'm actually going to invite the, the ministry team up as well. And if you're here this morning and you're like, resilience is a new term, or you're like, I don't feel resilient, can I tell you something? There's a book that I've read a bit off and I want to read more off. A guy called Rick Hill, um, I think he's like lead youth worker in a Presbyterian church or someone, but he wrote a book, Resilient Disciples. I'd encourage you all to go get it and read it this summer. There's something about that when we develop the art of resilience, it is so needed in this time because there's so many people, actually maybe you're here today and you go, I feel like packing it in. Maybe not in your faith, but maybe also just in, you know, the church, you know? Yes, 80% of the people, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, but let's actually develop resilience together. And this is something I feel like the Lord wants to teach us as a community as well. So if you're here today and you're going, I'm burning out, that's just a simple way to realize if you're not resilient. And we all will have tiredness in our lives. And tiredness is okay, but it's how we endure it. If you're here and you want the Lord to come and to fill you up and, and to, to take any heavy yoke off you so that you can endure the journey, then I want you to come, whatever it may be. Or if you have anything else in your life that you're going, you know what, I just want to be more resilient. Let the Lord take me on that journey. And then I'd invite you to come because it is a journey. It's a process of Him teaching us. So Father, we thank you that you are a resilient God because 
you're immovable. And God, if we ever feel like we're standing on shaky ground this morning, we just pray that you would, you would be our firm foundation, mentally, emotionally, and physically, Lord, that this morning you would teach us and you would lead us to green pastures because you, you make us lie down by still waters. You rested on the seventh day. Jesus, you spent 30 years being a carpenter before you did anything. You know how to rest. Teach us to rest well, Father. So I just pray that you would come in your peace and your joy and the fruits of your spirit in your people this morning. Let's worship.